Radio Drome. The 65th episode of Radio Drome, to be precise. Cool. Well, <laughs> how many originals did you do? Four or five? That, uh, that, yeah, that one's tough. I guess technically five, but one of them, but one of them, two of them were like one episodes that were cut in half or something like that. And then there was like once or twice where we had to re-record it because there were problems with the microphone. Yeah, that that number counts kind of all over the place. Well, then we'll just say it's episode 65 of the new radio drone. Yeah, that works. That works for me. <laughs> now, before you and I start fighting, as Jillian and I intimated last week, you and I are probably going to get into a fight tonight. A fight? Uh... You went and saw 21 Jump Street, and you saw the trailer for Dark Shadows, and apparently you, she said you and I are going to be just about throwing punches at one another. Not really. Yeah, I, I did get back from 21 Jump Street. Well, one, there's no way in hell you're going to like that. <laughs> just no way. Like, usually, you know, when I'll say to, say to somebody, like, you know, there's, I don't know, there's a slight chance you might like it. I don't know. In this case... This is a rare exception on that. There's no way you're going to like that movie. If you can separate... Here's what I I will say about it. If you can separate yourself from the fact that it's called 21 Jump Street, if you can do that, then it's not a bad comedy. This thing's got like an 80-some percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. Like, it's not that good. I laughed here and there. Like, it it had some fun. Ice Cube was very funny in it. I've heard uh, that Hoffs from the original series is a captain in it. Oh yeah, and uh, no, not really. She's she's there. Uh, she's there briefly to like give them their car. This is something I want to get into about this because it was something. It's something that happens towards the end and just rubbed me the wrong fucking way. Like I was going along. I was going along with it. There was there's some funny set pieces in the movie. Like there's a car chase in it that puts a that puts a car chase seen in a realistic setting in that in reality you know there would be a lot of really heavy traffic and for most of the time you'd probably be stopped and then stuff that you would think like in movies that always explodes in this doesn't that that was a pretty funny set piece well, and ice, last ice, action hero did that remember? of course last action hero did that but it's something can still be funny even though it's been done before <laughs> i'll give you well, that i'm going to interrupt you real quick though because we forgot to do the adam and eve promo oh okay okay so we'll get back to 21 jump street in a second go to adamandeve.com use the promo code drome get 50 percent off a single item three free dvds a free mystery gift and free shipping in the united states with the promo code drome there, we just made our cutoff for when we had to get the promo in. Fantastic. Excellent timing. Because you and um, I just, we started talking, I, and I'm like, we got to yeah. get the promo. Ice, Ice, Cube, uh, Ice Cube plays up like the stereotypical black police captain thing. He does really good in that role. And uh, there's, there, was some, there was some stuff in the high school that worked, like how one character was popular before and now isn't and vice versa. And, like, they recognize certain cliques, like the, the nerds, the jocks, but then they don't know what hipsters are. They're, again, they're, so as a comedy, as a comedy, I thought it was all right. As 21 Jump Street, I kept sitting there thinking, like, you know, as a comedy, this kind of works. But in my head, I'm still thinking, you know, if we got, like, a real 21 Jump Street movie, like, say, like, okay, let's say we got, like, a Michael Mann or a William Friedkin behind it. 
like that. Yeah, this comedy is fine. It's it's funny. It does its job, but but it's not real, 21 Jump Street. Exactly. A real 21 Jump Street would be better than this comedy. And you know the movie is funny. I I will give it that, but it's not 21 Jump Street. And then at the I I have to do you mind if I spoil something big at the end of the movie? Peoples, we're going to have a spoiler, so I don't want to hear one person bitch. Oh, I did no spoiler warning, Mr. Douchey Mit- Nick Pit nitpicks out there. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So when it gets to the end, H- Hanson turns up. Hanson and Penhall turn up. There's there's a standoff between the drug dealers and Jonah Hill and Channing Tatum, and then. Then it turns out that a couple of the the bikers who are these drug dealers turn out to be Johnny Depp and um, uh, Peter DeLuise. Are they in their guys of the those criminal brothers they always played on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they uh, they um um they kind of reference that a little bit. But yeah, it turns out that they're under that they are undercover. And they they'd been working. They'd infiltrated this biker gang that that were the villains. Anyway, then they find out that like. Hill and Tatum are on are part of Twenty One Jump Street, and they're like, "Oh, they brought back the Jump Street division," or something like that. And then, and this is a spoiler, they are blown away. I actually, so there were people on the internets, internets saying that, and I didn't know if that was trolling or if that was no, true. No, it's not. Hanson and Penhall are blown the f- away in it. I get it's supposed to be funny. And maybe if you're not a fan of not a fan, but you just don't know it that well, other than the casting, you know, I, I get that that's supposed to be funny, but it registered to me as a little too much of an fu moment. That also I didn't will think it that was also will fall into of, that also fall into our topic tonight. It it seems almost, huh? Yeah, kind of because I mean it's supposed to be in. It's not that it suddenly goes dark at that moment because it still is trying to be funny, like they're laying there dying and they're saying some stuff to each other that kind of applies to what Hill and Tatum were going through and stuff like that. But I didn't like it. Having these two characters from a pretty serious television series come back in this comedy, and I guess you're supposed to figure that it's canon, and then they're just killed off just for the sake of a cheap laugh. I didn't think that was funny. And and maybe it's because I like the show, no, it's because I like the show, but I just I didn't like that. I I I I I mean, what do you think? That seems because I mean, obviously we know from numerous interviews that Johnny Depp hated Twenty One Jump Street, the yeah. series, and he actually said, "Remember back when they were trying to make this in the early two thousands? Yeah, they kept trying to make this." He said, "The only way he will appear in the movie is if they kill Hanson." It was sort of like Heston with Planet of the Apes. The oh, only way I appear in the Murray second one, Ghostbusters yeah. 3. The only way I'm going to be in it is if you kill me completely. So that might actually have been a Johnny Depp thing. The only way we get okay. Johnny Depp is blowing their ass up. Uh huh. Okay, Peter Deloise right. probably would have been a little easier to get since he moved behind the camera and he's a director now. Yeah, yeah. Greco didn't turn up. <laughs> well, Booker, you know, he wasn't even in really in the fourth or fifth seasons of the show anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, they were trying to make a Booker movie a few years ago. There was a script. Were they going really? Around. Yeah, they were trying to make a Booker movie, and it was another one of those. Where, oh, that would be cool. But it was what they they didn't have Richard Greco. They they said we mm-hmm. we'll have Richard Greco as like a mentor, but we want to recast the role of Booker as with a twenty something. Yeah. And we go, What's the point? Right. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Which, which I like. Which that was a good spinoff too, Booker. Until the very end, uh, when all yeah, you probably remember more of the end than me. But what I remember of it, I liked. They they brought in uh, Heavy D as a bounty hunter, and they brought in uh, the, the sleazy ticket scalper from Fast Times. Um, oh, really? They brought Mike Damone? Yeah, whatever his actor is, they brought him as in as some old friend of Booker's, and the last five episodes, it became a slapstick buddy comedy. Okay. So the last yeah, five I, I, episodes are more about painful. the entire series than me. Like uh, what I remember of seeing it, which I think is mostly the beginning of the series. I'm pretty sure I didn't see every episode, but the majority of the ones I did see, I liked. Yeah, it got real bad right at the end. It was kind of we know we're canceled, so we're just going to have some fun. And oh, uh, sure. And, and then that brings us to not our topic yet, but the Dark Shadows trailer. I absolutely hated it, and I'm a fan of the original series. Me the too. 1991 reboot and both the theatrical 70s movies. I love the reboot. The reboot from the 90s, I love it. Oh, that it. 1991 reboot, I uh, that was yeah. I loved that. I watched that every Friday night in 91 on NBC. I've got oh, the, yeah. I've got the DVD set, I've got the VHS set. I I thought it was great. And uh yeah, I I saw the trailer for uh the, for the new Dark Shadows. I didn't realize it was going to be a comedy. <laughs> Well, and, and see, this is what I don't understand, and I'm going to quote from Tim Burton, okay? Yeah. We were going for gonzo comedy that should please many, but will rile fans of the original. So don't then do it why? like that. Then why make it, then why call it Dark Shadows? If the whole point is to yeah. piss off all the fans, why make it Dark yeah. Shadows? It seems like yeah, the ultimate trolling. It... Tim Burton's yeah. the ultimate troll right now. It look, yeah, it look, it is. Yeah, I mean, he's coming out openly and saying that, like, yeah, it's probably going to piss off fans, but other people will like it. And it's like, well, you're okay, sure. You you also want other people who maybe weren't fans of the show to see it too, but you don't want to just make it for them. Then just don't call it dark. It goes yeah. back to our Django thing. You know, the new Tarantino Django sounds like a decent movie. But it's not a Django movie. Just don't I, call I it Django. I give more leeway to the Django. Th- I give more leeway to the Django thing, and it isn't just because Tarantino's directing it. Um, I give more leeway to that because of the mass, mass, mass amounts of other Django movies. Yeah, all of the... other of other unofficial Django movies. And I know Tarantino. I think he's kind of said that he sort of considers this to be like an official Django movie. I don't agree with him on that, but it doesn't upset me. Just because of that, because there there are so many other unofficial Django movies that, that that doesn't bother me. But in terms of the Dark Dark Shadows thing, I watched the trailer and uh, and I was like, I am kind of some of the '70s stuff in it. I thought was kind of amusing. I'm watching the trailer for this and I'm like, this almost looks like I had a better reaction to it I, than I did when I saw the trailer for Twenty One Jump Street. And that was mainly because I, I looked at the trailer for Dark Shadows and I was like, this might be so bad that it's kind of amusing. Like, because there's some stuff in the trailer for that where I was like, this this looks like something I would see on, like, basic cable in the 90s or something. Like, the part, they're, like, screwing on the ceiling and... Uh, and then the whole room is wrecked when they're done. The whole room is wrecked and stuff like that. I'm like, this actually might be, like, I, I don't know if this will be good, but, like, this might actually be kind of amusing. One of my problems is... It, 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 you know, tell me if I'm wrong on this. It seems like it's Austin Powers with vampires. Instead of a guy from the 70s and 60s being moved into today, it's a vampire from the 1790s being moved into the 70s with the oh, fish out of water, culture, culture shock stuff. That's what it or, seems like it is. Or, or like you know, maybe it's it's you know, Blackula but with a white guy. 
really <laughs> white guy. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and th- this is just a personal prejudice in this. No matter who they cast, it would have been wrong for me. Uh-huh. I loved Angelique from the 1991 series. Oh, I did too. Lizette Anthony. Yeah. She was so gorgeous. And that mm-hmm. sexy French accent and the fact that she was a total slut. Yeah. No matter who they cast as Angelique, it would not have been Lizette Anthony to me. And I just said, I'd go, that's not Angelique. Even the Angelique in the old series. I can't uh-huh. accept her after Lizette Anthony. Yeah, I'm. you know, I'm kind of with you on that, too, because... um. I saw I saw the 1990s version before I had seen a lot of the original. So the 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 1991 like honestly hugely sentimental to me. Um it was the first it was the first real horror related thing that I watched like with my mom. My mom watched that with me too. Maybe that was a mom and son thing. I don't know. I think so because we were hugely into that. And then when it got freaking canceled oh we on a cliffhanger no less on a damn cliffhanger on a cliffhanger and then i remember it was like three months later and i'm like sitting at the neighbor's house or something and there was i it must have been a tv movie or something like that but it was something that had ben cross in it and i remember being just be like "Ooh, is it back like oh no no, no he's not a, he's not barnabas but yeah they did continue that the story of the comic book by innovation yeah. picked up right where the season one cliffhanger ended off. So the like first six or seven issues of the comic book are season two of the show. Just if fans do want to finish the storyline, yeah, you got to so go find the old 1991 comic book. At least books. something. Yeah, at, le- at least there's something, you know. But it's um, it's not the same to finish it off in a comic than to have it's, the right well, it's not, but it, That's why I said at least it's something. You know, I mean, it's not nothing. It isn't. Screw you! Uh, we got to do Gulf War coverage, so <laughs> isn't yeah, that isn't that partly why it was canceled? Yeah, because it was preempted so much. I mean, they, yeah. they'd go two whole months without a new episode, and yeah. since this is basically a primetime soap opera, that really hurts uh-huh. viewership. And so, oh, yeah, yeah, it was the Gulf War. The same thing happened Iraq War with Miracles, that great X Files style show in two thousand three. With, with I didn't Steve see Ulrich. Miracles. Okay, Miracles literally. This is the best way I can put it. What would happen if you put a Ray Bradbury-style show together with Twin Peaks that was influenced by the X-Files? And it was amazing. And it was canceled after Mm -hmm. five episodes because every episode was preempted by Iraq war coverage and aired a couple of weeks after it was scheduled to the point where ABC just said, just screw it. Just we're not even going to deal with this pilot. Will if you're an X Files fan or anything like that of creepy religious kind of horror, the pilot will just mm. knock you off your socks. No, that one, that one, I didn't see. I, 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 I didn't get a chance to watch that one. I'll check. I'll check it out. The second episode of Miracles is one of the most fascinating science fiction stories I'd seen on TV in years. The thing with Dark Shadows is. I just I don't understand Tim Burton's motivations. You read early interviews prior to them making the movie, and he said, oh, I'm a big fan of the show, and I've always wanted to make a movie of this, and then Mm-mm. to intentionally go, yeah, we're, we're going to make the movie specifically to piss off the fans. Yeah, it looks I like... I don't get it. I don't... If he, I, I guess I would get it if he wasn't a fan of the show, you know? That, like, oh, that's got imagery that I can, you know, kind of Tim Burton if... Uh, Stuff like that, or hey, this might look neat with a Danny Elfman score, and I'm sure Johnny Depp can play the lead. You know, you know, I, I, I guess I would in that sense. But if you are 
as he's said, apparently, a fan of the show, that, yeah, it does seem weird to kind of troll it like that. Like, I understand wanting to put your own sort of spin on things, you know, as a, as a writer, as a director, wanting to maybe put your own voice into something. But you can you can still do that. But a gothic he, soap opera into what he called a gonzo comedy? Yeah, exactly. Like, you can still do that and keep with the tone of the source material. It just seemed like he had no interest in that at all. Yeah, and, you know, it might be... It might be amusing, you know, like, because with 21 Jump Street, like, there's uh, some things about it that piss me off. Yeah, but as a comedy, it worked. Well, there, there's, um, there's, a, there's, a theory, sense. there's a theory going around that 21 Jump Street, the movie, was actually a standalone script, and they only changed it to 21 Jump Street after they found out, hey, we own this. We can actually do a, re- a remake reboot. <laughs> oh, that 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 actually kind of reminds me. I was reading about this the other day. Do you remember when there was going to be a sequel to Seven? Yes. Oh, I'm so glad that never happened. It it well, it is, but because that was a pre-existing script that they turned into a sequel to Seven by just making the psychic detective Morgan Freeman's character. So apparently, he was going to be psychic in it. Yep, I, I remember reading about the psychic stuff, which... Now it actually is getting made in its original format, not as a sequel to Seven, and it's Anthony Hopkins playing the psychic cop. Uh, well, at least it's not... They're not trying to make it a Seven sequel. I gotta give them credit for that. Yeah, I'm with... Yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. It's like, well, okay, maybe if since it's not a Seven sequel anymore, like, it might work. There are certain movies that just do not need sequels. Right. Hollywood yeah. does not seem to get that. Yeah, not a not a sequel to Seven. <laughs> no, I love Seven. Actually, when I saw Seven in 1997, mm-hmm. I couldn't believe that that movie was rated R and released by a major studio. Right. <laughs> not only because it was so good, but just for how dark and violent it was. Yeah. That yeah, just but... surprised me. That and then even more that that caught on with audiences. Oh, it was, what was that number one for like five weeks or something like that? And then it's parodied at the Oscars that year? Yeah, yeah. And you go, how does this kind of film get that kind of coverage? It it just struck a nerve, I guess, in 97. It, it won Best Picture at the MVP Movie Awards. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> that, that holds be, a lot of weight. Right, which might be the last time something legitimate won Best Picture at the MTV Movie Awards. Well, and then we do have a topic in a, you know, in a few weeks about about something that Seven and Silence of the Lambs, how they absolutely refuse to call them horror movies. They're movies uh-huh. about people that kill other people and in excessively violent ways, and a guy that thinks he's, you know, pulling the wrath of God, and like in Silence of the Lambs, a guy that eats people and cuts off their faces. That's yeah. not a psychological thriller. It's a goddamn horror movie. Just call it a horror movie. I don't know. I mean, you can have elements of both. You can definitely have elements of both in there, of a psychological thriller and a horror flick. And that's 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 how I would think of something like Silence of the Lambs and and Seven. But there there is, you know, you talking about like this Seven like surprised this, doing so well in an R rating and all that as a mainstream film. I thought of something as I was leaving the theater for Twenty One Jump Street. How to and take your own life? And that's that. Huh? I said, how to take your own life after sitting through that? <laughs> <laughs> right. 
I was I was still plenty mad about the whole Hanson and Penhall thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh but but anyway, mainstream movies are they have no problem releasing a hard R comedy. Like none whatsoever. Anymore, like most comedies that get released, studios seem to prefer them be hard R comedies. Just raunch fests and stuff like that. They have no problem with that. But yet when it comes to action movies, when it comes to horror films, they suddenly grow really, really freaking neutered. Like, oh, no, we got to get the kid in. we got to get the teens in to go see these PG-13 slasher movies, these PG-13 neutered, edited-down action films. Yet, have no problem with the R-rated comedy, which is essentially catered to the same audience. True. And And I was at that screening tonight for 21 Jump Street, and it was packed. And guess what? Mostly teenagers. A high, high, high percentage of it, freaking teenagers. So don't give me that bull crap about like, oh no, we got to make sure the kids can get in to see it. They'll freaking get in to go see it. So don't like be think you're all like suave and cool because, hey, we're releasing these hard R raunch fest comedies and then get freaking neutered about action films and horror flicks. Well, Rob Zombie did say that for Devil's Rejects, he honestly could not believe the stuff that they had problems with. None of the violence, every problem the MPAA had was nudity. They had no problem with all the violence, and he said he was sure that's where the problem was going to be. And they were like, yeah, you, you, you can get an R for all the gore. We don't have a problem with that. <laughs> but the nudity, oh, heavens to bits. Get that nipple off the screen now. That's messed up. <laughs> Well, now that we've hit the halfway point of the show, should we actually say what our topic is? Yeah, it works for me. Our topic is movies that don't seem to know what they want to be tonally. Well, even Dark Shadows kind of looks kind of kind of looks like that because it starts out as a comedy, but then has elements of horror and like explosions, yeah, and, well, and stuff like that. And it, I mean, like Twenty One Jump Street was consistently a comedy until Hanson and Penhall get blowed up. No, that was even played for laughs. Well, the one I'm thinking of is I just watched. Have you ever seen Hollywood Vice Squad? You tell me about this. You were telling me about this the other day. I haven't seen Hollywood Vice Squad. Okay, it's got Tom Everett, Ronnie Cox, Carrie Fisher. Carrie Fisher just post Return of the Jedi back when she was just unbearably cute too. Yeah, and you know she <laughs> was. I can't remember if she was still a cokehead at that point or not. This is it, it, it's a movie by Penelope Spheris. You know Wayne's World and the Decline of the Western Civilization movies and, and Black Sheep. Ugh, don't remind me. <laughs> but it, it seems like she wanted to make a hard, vice squad, hardcore, the George C. Scott movie, look yeah. at exploitation in in Los Angeles and what these people yeah. go through. And she also wanted to make a vice squad style slapstick comedy. Because literally, you, you'll go from a straight out and out slapstick scene that all it's missing is is the Looney Tunes sound effects, and then the very next scene is Carrie Fisher trying to bust an underage porn ring. And you just go, these mm-hmm. two scenes c- should not be in the same movie. <laughs> the tone is all over the place. And literally, yeah. they, they'd have a hard scene, and then they'd have something where Tom Everett is basically going, whoop, 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 where he's trying to stop a fleeing John. Yeah. And you go... She made two different films, and they just edited them together. What the hell was with this movie? 
<laughs> yeah, I've uh, I've come across as, I've come across some like that. Uh, the one when you when you're t- uh, telling me about tone the other day and stuff like that and movies changing tones like Hollywood Vice Squad does, the first thing that came to my head was um, the Last American Virgin. Which I can't recall seeing, but you were telling me about that. Yet. You remember Last American Virgin? It's it's I've an 80s, it on beta. Do you? Well, there you go. It's an eighties high school movie and is about a group of friends who want to lose their virginity. Uh, the main one is a uh, Lawrence Monison who was um, Teddy in Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter, and then the other guy is like went on to like direct the Sex and the City movies. Um, oh, that's a big fall though, too. <laughs> Like, uh, so it's this group of guys and yeah, they, they want to lose their virginity. And the first, the majority of the movie really like the first, uh, two thirds, we'll say two thirds of the movie are like, Oh, wacky hijinks. They actually lose their virginity, like maybe 20 minutes into the thing. Cause they get a prostitute, but then they get crabs. They get crabs and are sitting in class itching and like, oh, my God, my crabs are itching and stuff like that. And they're trying to drown the crabs in like a swimming pool. Uh, other wacky stuff like there's a, a a scene where like there was some girls and the girls want cocaine. Instead, they're like sweet and low because they can't find any cocaine. And uh, there there's like a dick measuring sequence in the locker room while it's playing Whip It. So so, OK, wacky 80s uh, Porky style sex comedy all right then in the last third it gets really serious because lawrence monison is in love with uh the main girl in the movie but she has been sleeping with his best friend his best friend gets her pregnant and then it turns really serious like in the first half you know you know it's playing whip it it's playing shake it up and then in the last part of it it's there's like scenes where the where Lawrence Monison is like professing his love to her and it's playing open arms by journey and then like <laughs> he ends up he the the guy who knocked her up like leaves her Lawrence Monison tells her that he loves her, and then Lawrence Monison pays for her abortion. And it's all like, this is not played for laughs. It is all serious. And then at the end, they're at a party, and he, Lawrence Monison is about to give her like a present or something, and then walks in, and she's kissing um, the, the kid who, who knocked her up. And at this point, Lawrence Monison and the friend are like not friends anymore they like there was a previous scene i think where they got in a fight with each other and so he sees lawrence monison sees the two of them kissing gets heartbroken leaves is driving away in his car crying and that's the end of the movie the ending credits are played over lawrence monison crying (laughs) well the one the one i immediately think of is judd nelson david e kelly movie from the hip Oh, from the hip, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing that 86, 87, something like that. For those who haven't seen From the Hip, it is a wacky courtroom hijinks movie for the first 45 minutes. And like Brad said, it's a straight-out 80s goofball movie. They've got the vibrator under the judge's chair and all this, and he's he's getting fined and all this. And it's, it's literally a slapstick comedy. And then almost at exactly the halfway point, they get a case where John Hurt is accused of killing his mistress with a claw hammer. And the rest of the movie is a hardcore drama. (laughs) And you just kind of go, these are the same characters we just saw goofing around 
continuity-wise the day before, and the rest <laughs> of the movie's a hardcore courtroom drama with absolutely no humor. Well, I've got it. I've got it on VHS. Me too. And it. you just what the hell? Yeah, I I, I probably haven't seen it since I, I I do have it on VHS, but I probably haven't watched it all the way through since it, since when it uh, first came on either HBO or Cinemax, one of the two. But um, you know what I'm talking about? How? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. if you I, I just do... saw the second half of the movie and then you saw the first half, you wouldn't think they were part of the same film. Well, if we're talking like you know tone here, like. We've got to bring up pod people. <laughs> no, we don't. Sure we do. Oh, that is a mixture of completely different kinds of movies. One, a comedy, or, well, I don't know about comedy, but one, a kid's movie. A, clearly a E.T. ripoff kid's film about child befriending the alien. And then the other part of the movie is a slasher film. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll kind of give you that. <laughs> but then it makes you wonder how do these things change tone like that like Hollywood Vice Squad clearly Penelope, Penelope Spheris made the movie she wanted to make Yeah, which is I, I blame her for that because she was a co-writer on it and she clearly wanted these slapsticky things like that whereas like from the hip you have to wonder did they shoot the first half first and then decide they wanted to sell it because remember like Legal Eagles was really big at that point and they maybe wanted to court that yeah. audience. You know, people need to realize they don't shoot these things in order. You don't just shoot the first half and then decide, oh, I want something different. Let's shoot the rest of the movie like this. Oh, sure, sure. There had to be an effort before production began where somebody said, I want this half to be funny and this half to be serious. I know it makes you kind of come up with your own theories about it, really. Because in the case of Last American Virgin, I remember watching that. I'm like, is this movie showing us the high school hijinks and whatnot and then showing realistic repercussions to them if this were to happen in real life <laughs> well spe speaking of that there's one now i get all the porky's movies the plots of them confused okay mm -hmm. yeah. the, the one with the with the clan that's the second one okay that's the second one you know it, it's it's literally a porky's movie and then they have this huge plot line about the clan and industrialized racism they don't seem to uh -huh. go together that's hilarious do they? No, not really. <laughs> but totally those two plot lines don't seem to go together, do they? Well, I in some cases I know like the situation, like pod people. Juan Pagir Simon wanted to make a horror film, but the producer wanted elements of E.T. in there, wanted elements of that in there, so that's how that kind of got screwed up. But yeah, the other other things too, it's like on the one hand, I can kind of see, like, like, okay, from the hip. I guess, like, putting myself in the in the situation, like, if I was, all right, let's say for the sake of argument, I'm writing something like that, you know? Okay, maybe I could, maybe I could sit there and write and be like, like, okay, I'm gonna have these like wacky guys at the beginning, and then all of a sudden, you know, like, stuff goes down. You know, they have to actually like get really serious. Like there's darkness like in this world and whatnot. Like we're gonna see like what these goofy characters will do once you know once the shit hits the fan. I so think, I yeah no I, I agree. I think David E. Kelly was considering it like a character arc. It just happened like that. It happened so fast. It almost honestly, it almost comes across like an early uh, like like sort of an early prototype for Boston Legal because Boston Legal had, had was was I, I would definitely consider a comedy. 
it, it had a lot of funny moments and a lot of funny characters. Uh, Alan Shore, Denny Crane, some some funny stuff th- throughout that series. But there would be episodes where the case that they were handling was really serious, and Alan Shore would have to give a very dramatic would have to give a very dramatic speech in in representing or defending whoever he would be defending even more so when he was on the practice still because the practice was yeah, a much, much more same, serious same show yeah, so I, I remember a, that... one episode i can't remember if it was Boston legal or the practice that actually pissed me off because alan shore was on the wrong side he had to defend a police officer from violating a guy's civil rights because they were looking for a kidnapped girl by a pedophile and it turned out the cop had the wrong guy but was breaking the law for the right reason and they had to defend the cop. And I was so mad that the good guys were defending this this cop that totally destroyed the law. The cop went vigilante and thought he was looking for a pedophile? Right, but he had the wrong person. So he ended up breaking the guy's arm by literally twisting it to get the guy to tell him where the girl was and it was the wrong person. Well, I mean, you know, we've, I don't, I've, uh, that, uh, that I don't think would have made me mad when I'm watching that because I could, because depending on what the defense is and on stuff like that, I, I've seen that in actions where, or thrillers where the hero of something does something like that. They're the hero, they're the hero of the movie and that, and that's fine. And that's fine. I, I, I do love me a vigilante movie. So I, I don't know if that would have necessarily ticked me off, but I do know. I don't think that was Boston Legal, because I don't remember that on Boston Legal. Then that was probably a practice episode. Yeah, but I have seen... I've seen uh, some episodes of that where I I disagreed with... um, where I disagreed with who they were defending. The one that I remember off the top of my head was they were defending... There was a guy who was getting sued by his ex-fiance because he pulled out of the wedding, or he called the wedding off, and he got sued because of all of the uh, costs costs of the wedding or something like that. And they were defending they were defending the people who were suing the guy. And I was like, really? The, okay, the, I don't think the, I agree with I, this. The one I remember, which you know, it makes for a good First Amendment kind of thing, was the the aunt trying to take the two little Nazi girls away from her white supremacist parents. That was Boston legal. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, the, the aunt was saying raising them as white supremacists is child abuse. And Alan had to defend the white supremacist side. And it just, yes, I agreed with it on a first amendment issue, but you also kind of go, man, that's just, that eats you up inside, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is exactly um, what David E. Kelly is going for with those. Oh, totally. I, I totally agree. I totally agree with that. I, I agree with that. That there were there were probably in, uh, yeah intentionally a lot of cases on there where you're not always supposed to agree with you know who Alan Shore or whoever is is defending. But uh, going back, one that I did I did have a passing thought about tones and stuff. Different movies. Like, uh, how about? Uh, how about the Godfrey Ho movies? Well, but those are made from <laughs> other movies, though, too. He doesn't have a whole lot of say in 50% of the movie other I mean, than buying yeah, but it. Still, uh, there was this completely different tone going on there. At one point, you have uh, this uh, Korean romantic comedy, and then this other the movie. Ninjas! The, yeah, yeah, this other thing in the movie. You've got ninjas and dirty cops and... Uh, and stuff like that. That's well, that's tone that's all over the place. Well, one kind of, and I wouldn't even call this a genre, but one thing, the 80s seemed to do this more than any other decade. The kids movie that had way too much scary and creepy stuff happen in it. I'm looking at, like, Howard the Duck, 
those creepy monsters coming through the the portal and then seeing Jeffrey Jones basically disintegrating as a human being throughout the whole movie. Yeah, that, that, when I was never... 10 years old, that creeped me the hell out, Brad. Uh, that didn't creep, not in Howard the Duck. No, I was too busy thinking the movie was really, st- uh, even when I was a kid. The, you, know, I, I, you know, but I kind of like it when dark, when really dark stuff happens in, in, uh, in stuff like that. <laughs> uh, in, in like uh, what could be like a, a, a kid's movie and such, when, when something kind of dark would happen. I, I usually got kind of a kick out of that. Like the freaking, like, okay, like that freaking uh, little sequence from Willy Wonka. You look closely, you see a chicken get its head cut off. The hell? And the millipede crawling across a guy's face. Like, yeah. What is going, God damn it, 70s. <laughs> that was made for people on, on why LSD. Does, why, does he ha- why does he have that footage? Because <laughs> <laughs> he's Willy fucking Wonka. Yeah, because he's, he's crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry, Grandpa. Was that a chicken who got his head cut off? Well, if you think about it, that whole movie's weirdly toned because it's all happy and nice, and these kids are borderline being murdered at each of their little indiscretions. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tone is all over the place in that movie. And you got the first half, which is this really corny musical, like with the cheer up Charlie and all of that. And, you know, the kids getting the golden tickets. He's running down the street. He's got his ticket and all of that. And, you know, Grandpa can dance again. He's getting up and all that. But then, yeah, exactly. Once you get to, like, the chocolate factory, the kid is, like, drowning in, like, a lake of chocolate. You got the one girl goes down that egg chute that's like leading to the furnace or something and then um okay yeah 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 the the tunnel sequence too the like lsd trippy stuff with like mondo movies playing on the tv on the <laughs> screen <laughs> well and, and then and sometimes tone changes in a movie in post-production did you ever see the original pilot to the birds of prey tv show from the early 2000s yeah, no, I didn't. The original pilot, it, it, I mean, it's literally almost the same content as the pilot yeah. that ended up airing, other than a couple minor sequences. But they changed all the music from being the 1989-style Batman music to being light and bubbly, and they mm-hmm. literally lightened the sequences in po- in the computer to make them brighter because they said the movie or the pilot was too dark for what the WB was looking for. So literally, even though they're the same pilot, they feel totally different when you see the unaired version to the version that aired. You kind of go, why? What was wrong with the dark version? Are you trying to say people prefer the Schumacher Batmans over the Burton Batmans? (laughs) Is that what you're trying to say? everybody? (laughs) There is one movie that I saw that... um that was clearly clearly had some work done in post production and i think i think it was because one of the main characters died there was a michael parks movie from 1986 where it was like a it was called french quarter undercover did you ever see this that one i'm i'm unfamiliar with it's pretty obscure it's like this this thing like i i don't know what kind of major release this thing had probably very very small but it's michael parks and bill holiday are are two detectives and it's supposed to be kind of like a uh, like a french connection type thing but bill holiday i believe died during production of the movie after they had shot at least a fair amount of it so it was completely re-edited to make it look like just a random sequence of 
events, like documentary style. Like one scene would happen and then text would come on screen describing a scene that I guess couldn't get filmed, but it's doing it in the style of a documentary. And since it seems like the scenes that they did shoot with Parks and Holiday, I guess you couldn't have put them together to to form some kind of cohesive story out of it. So there would so trying to make it like this pseudo like kind of 60 minutes style documentary describing scenes that couldn't get filmed as if it's a news piece on not the making of the movie but the events that are happening in the, in movie. the movie right that that seems odd it was odd it was it was practically unwatchable um, I, I was like what is going on here and i didn't I didn't know about like the death thing until like after I'm like this this is a weird movie like tone tone all over the place here I have no idea what's going on and suddenly there's like detectives talking to the camera describing other scenes and like it it was it was bizarre and then I looked it up later and was like oh okay it's because one of the main actors died well, but it was it was all over the place one what I'm thinking of is a is something you reviewed on the cinema snob and that would be pussy talk. The, the 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 flashback scene where we find out how her dad was molesting her and then her mom killed her oh, dad yeah. and that's why she was all sexually repressed and you go yeah that's gonna just totally make me hard seeing that you know it's it's kind of out of place in a porn isn't it um well I don't know I mean there were uh, I I guess in that one a little bit because that one is definitely supposed to be sexy. Um, and sort of comical in certain sense. In, in a certain sense, I mean, it's definitely not Chatterbox. Uh, I, I like it. I like Pussy Talk a lot better than I like Chatterbox. Chatterbox is definitely a comedy. With Pussy Talk, yeah, there were there were kind of some moments of comedy in it, certainly. Especially also, pretty much everything uh, the Pussy said was supposed to be comedy. I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, more or less. But it also was definitely an erotic film. There were moments in that movie that. We're very artistic and we're very, 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 very sexy. But yeah, then you get into like the molestation thing later on, which is still sandwiched in with some other like erotic scenes that are supposed to be sexy. So there was like, okay, this one part's like, I wouldn't say that that movie is all over the place in terms of tone. Really, it's just kind of that one part that's like sort of like but bizarre. It's, but it seems to not fit the rest of the movie. Not really. I mean, it, it kind of, I guess, gets into the psyche of the character a little bit because the character is not played for laughs. Right. Um, yeah. Joel is played as a simp very sympathetic character. Pussy, not so much. Yeah. <laughs> even that, even that, and granted, if I'm remembering it correctly, even that, even when the vagina talked in it, it wasn't as quippy or as uh, smart alecky. It was and... more abusive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was more abusive in that one. It was more aggressive. Yeah, it was it was a little more aggressive. And in uh and in Chatterbox it was just cracking jokes left and right. Well, like <laughs> one film I'm thinking of that again the tone's not all over the place, but there's one scene that just does not fit, and that would be that visitor movie that Mike White and I did on the projection booth a few weeks ago. Oh right! It, it's a it's a relatively serious, if not somewhat unintentionally goofy story. And then there's this one scene. It's like a three and a half minute scene with two black slapstick tow truck drivers, and they don't seem to be yeah. like they're in the same movie as the rest of these characters. Last House on the Left, mm. the original or the remake? The original. Last House on the Left has that. The, I forget, the, the, the slapstick you... cops or something. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I forget. You said you never. Time. You said you never saw that, did you? No, not completely. I, I've, Tone... I've I've always seen parts of it. You know, I've seen twenty minutes here, ten minutes yeah. there. Tone is all over the place in that movie. You've got these fairly intense scenes with David Hess and his group, and then it'll be intercut with like goofy sequences of like the girl's parents like whipping up a birthday cake and stuff like that. And they're making like they're like kind of mugging towards the camera and stuff like that. And it's it's bizarre. But then there are these two bumbling cops like one of them's like the fat sheriff and the other is martin cove these two bumbling cops that keep falling on asses there's they're seriously straight out of a burt reynolds movie like they they're that's i was thinking smoking the bandit as you were describing that dude seriously they are straight out of a burt reynolds movie they're straight out of a good old boy movie like there's a part where they their car breaks down and they're like oh man what we gonna do we lost our dangle man and like so then this this woman this big this big black woman with like her teeth is kind of missing turns up like driving this chicken truck like all these crates of chickens in the back and so and so these two bumbling cops have to like ride in the back of this chicken coop and then she starts driving and oh zany the big fat cop falls off the back of it and <laughs> and it's all wacky this is spliced in with sequences of david hess raping people and killing them in pretty brutal ways yeah it, yeah he makes the girl piss herself he like cuts her organs out of her and then the one girl he just shoots in the back walking the famous shot where she's walking into the lake and he shoots her in the back you know that is one where i'll you know last house on the left it does have his mo- its moments the moments it has are effective because David Hess is damn good in it. There are there are some genuine moments of suspense in it, but it has tone that's all over the place and has this stupid slapstick crap that ruins a lot of effective scenes in that movie. And that is one instance where, and I know the original Last on the Left is kind of a remake of The Virgin Spring, but it is one where, I gotta say, I probably did like the uh, the newer Last House on the Left better, because at least... It was consistent in the kind of movie it was, and it was well acted. Tony Goldwyn was great in it. It had some pretty good set pieces. Garrett Dillahunt was a really good Krug. You know, like, like no, it didn't have David Hess, and you know, that's because I do like David Hess a lot. But at least, you know, at least it didn't have bumbling cops falling off the back of a chicken coop in the midst of a rape scene. True. Another one I can think of, Q the Winged Serpent. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it's the, almost uh, like Michael Moriarty's in a different film than Richard Roundtree and David Carradine, doesn't it? it? Yeah, he is. And he, honestly, I thought he was the best part of the movie. He was, although I will say Kwai Chang Kane and Shaft working together was kind of neat. Oh, yeah, that was that was good, too. And, but having I them, loved... and having them fight a prehistoric dinosaur in the middle of New York City in the Chrysler building, that's mm-hmm. pretty awesome. That was That was good stuff, too. But Moriarty, Michael Moriarty, like sold that kooky ass performance of he his. stole every scene he was in oh com- completely but you got to agree it almost was like he was in a different film than the other two actors i do were i filming. completely agree with that yeah I, I i definitely agree with that he was yeah he was out of some like lost like woody allen type movie from the 80s or something yeah except if his character had been remotely sympathetic that would have been different too because his character was such a sleazeball though too yeah, but I like it. He played the part so well that that I that I liked the guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right, we got to end the show. 
Now, I, I'm going to pimp something quick. Sure. The current issue of Hustler, June 2012 cover date. Has awesome has, tits in it. Plus, it also has an article, <laughs> after you're done spanking it, you can read my article on retro porn. They, that's can I they, spank it to your article? If you want. Sweet. Sold. But, so go pick up, the if you're over 18, go pick up the June 2012 issue of Hustler. My article's in it. And it's a pretty cool damn article, and you get a free DVD and stuff in the magazine Excellent. too. Excellent. So, I do think I do think the opposite. I jerk off to the articles and read the tits. The way I'm going to say to the audience listening to this, you can literally tell your wife, your husband, whatever, you're buying it for the article. Exactly. See? So it gives you the perfect excuse to go buy a hustler. So on that note, you can find Brad at thecinemasnob.com. You can find me at 1201beyond.com, 1201beyond.blogspot.com. Reach me at 1201beyond at gmail.com and read my weekly column, Sanity is Razor Thin, at geekjuicemedia.com. Hey, Brad, do you know what time mm. it is? It's time to say goodnight. Good night. Hey, Mom.